How's everyone doing this morning? Happy to be at Elevate? I'm happy to be at Elevate. I, um, uh, I've been here a couple of times, but I actually brought my senior pastor this time, Phil. He's uh, over there. Phil Bates, he doesn't want to like... Anyway. So um, basically brought him just so he can keep an eye on me and um, some heckling and all that. But yeah, last time I was here, we were part of um, Kelmscott Church of Christ and we went through this journey of um, becoming New Spring, which happened on January 1 this year. And um, it's actually been quite phenomenal because God's just, oh, He's done, he's done a miracle. And um, so what we did, it was actually a, this church kind of um, activity. And um, we, we got like heaps of butcher's paper out. We got them to write names and then we went to, got some names, we went to a vote and all that. And guess what? I did not actually vote for New Spring Church. Didn't. So I got up and I announced the name of the church and I said, I did not vote for this. We went through the process. The church voted for this new church and everyone went, whoa! It's the first time in change management and church that um, the church was actually on board and not ripping each other apart. So that was good. Anyway, it's great to be here. Um, I believe that God wants to speak to all of us today. And I really believe that God is speaking a message that He's, um, he's bringing me back to this message because I've had a sense over the last couple of months that there's something new, particularly in the life of the church in WA, but also myself and, and all that. But you don't necessarily know what that new is, do you? Does anyone know what the new is? Of course not, because otherwise you'd be doing it right now, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, so I'm just going to pray that God's going to speak to all of us. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. So has anyone got their Bible here? Two people. Anyone got their Bible here? Awesome. Number, I, I love a little bit of feedback, you know. I like a little bit of noise. So don't feel like you have to be quiet. Um, Phil will heckle me from over there. But I find that if I get heckled and a bit of feedback, I actually preach better. So if you want a good message, give me some feedback. But if you want to be terrible, just be quiet. But I'm going to pray and then we'll launch into it. Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. Father, we open up this space. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak that you would come and you would speak specifically, prophetically, profoundly, simply, that somehow you would just get the message through to us, however we need to hear it. And um, I ask that you would change us, that we walk out of this place different, not the same, more in love with you, more in love with people, and more determined to see this world changed for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' Name, Amen. So Numbers chapter 13 is a pretty familiar um, passage. And I'm just going to look at two very familiar passages um, this morning. And it's a really simple message, seriously. So it's almost embarrassingly simple. So, But from verse 31, it reads, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw of great size, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. They were like big giants, okay? So bigger than me, that's pretty big. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now, if you've been travelling with Jesus for, I don't know, five seconds, you may begin to realise that God seems to have this obsession with the new. Have you ever sort of um, experienced that with God? 
He seems to have this propensity to actually spur us, to move us and want us to advance and actually take steps forward and go into something new all the time, which is exciting at times, but sometimes it can be scary and sometimes it can just be blatantly confusing. Um, but that seems to be the way that God does it. And, and, and God seems to like have this agenda, not just for, for, for your life, not just for my life, not just for your church, Elevate Church or New Spring Church or the church collectively. But have you noticed how time seems to be moving forward? Like, like even the calendar is kind of moving forward. The years are moving forward. It seems that God has this thing where He always wants to move things forward and He is really determined to move us forward to His agenda to a determined end. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, um, you don't have to turn there, but, but Paul writing to the church, he says, God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfil His own good pleasure, and this is the plan. Aren't you glad God actually told you what the plan is? Do you actually know what the plan is? Louis, read your Bible, then you'll find out. The <laughs> At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything in earth. You see, God is actually moving everything forward to a predetermined end. He's actually got something in mind, which is fantastic. And in order for us to move to that, it's actually going to require that we are continually moving into something new. It seems to be that there is this slipstream of new, just like a bit of a survey. Does anyone like new stuff here? Come on, Tanya, you have to, don't you? <laughs> it's Tanya's job to, 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 to spur us as the church into the new. But he seems to have this slipstream, like this, this current that we need to get accustomed to. And it is all about the new. And the unfortunate thing about new is that new always means change. And we all hate change. Is there anyone who actually loves change? I hate change. And you know what? I am a catalyst for change, but I still hate change, you know? And I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I look at change, I kind of look at it and I like try to do like a little bit of the hokey pokey, which, you know, you know, I put my right foot in, I put the right foot out, right foot in, then I shake it all about. I do the hokey pokey and I turn around and I think, oh, I've done something. You've done nothing. You've just looked at it and you thought you did something, but... but there is something that God actually wants to do. He wants us to actually be involved in moving things forward into new creation. He actually wants us to be involved in what He is doing and that will require that we become accustomed to change. And these two historical accounts is all about change. So if you love change, great Sunday to be in church. If you hate change, guess what? God's going to be on all of our cases. And even as I'm speaking, as we go, the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking into your heart. Do you know that? God's going to be meddling with your life. And He's going to be meddling with my life because He wants to take us into new, amazing, uh, just unbelievable things. And I want to be part of that. So in Numbers chapter 13, this is a real critical moment for the nation of Israel. And it's a really critical moment because this is the moment where God is actually speaking to His people and He says, I now want you to do something new. Now I understand God doesn't go to them and say, I want you to do what you've done before because that would have been easy, right? I mean, I could do what I've done before. I could even come up here. I could preach the message I preached last week and it'll be like a piece of cake. No, easy. You know, there'll be, no, but God says, no, I want you to do something new. I don't want you to do something that you've done before. And um, I think it's amazing that whenever God actually challenges us or spurs us or encourages us to move and do something new, things always get in the way, don't they? 
It doesn't matter how charismatic you are. It doesn't matter how big a leader you think you are. It doesn't matter how, how smart or intelligent you think you are. There is something about the human heart, the human nature, that whenever God will call us forward, there's always going to be something that will stand in the way. Yeah. Isn't that right, Louis? Yeah. Right now in your life. Absolutely. Yeah? yeah? Right now. You see, the predicament that's happening here is that Israel, they know how to exit really well. They do. It's been the whole story up until this point. This story has its genesis in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus actually means exit. The book of Exodus, the Exodus narrative is this amazing story of God delivering and bringing them and enabling this great exit strategy. And it's really great to know that God's pretty good at providing an exit strategy, isn't it? I mean, if you're hurt here today, guess what? God can get you out of it. Isn't that great to know? If you're like in pain, it's fantastic. If you're in a situation and you think, God, this situation sucks right now, I'm glad that there's an entire book of the Bible that's called Exit and lets me know that God can actually get me out of the exit. I can actually go to the exit terminal and actually jump on board and actually get out of that. I don't need to be around this perpetual mountain just like for years and years and years and years wallowing. I can actually get out of this situation right now. I'm preaching all right right now, just by the way. It's true, isn't it? He's given us a whole book, but I reckon sometimes we as a church need to recognise that's just one book out of 66. And God's revealed Himself in other ways, in different ways. So what happens in this narrative up until this point, obviously Israel, they're, they're under the... Um, the slavery of, of Pharaoh in, in Egypt and God raises up Moses and Moses comes and, and he has a bit of a, an ordeal getting there, but he finally comes to the point where he goes to Moses and says, let my people go, right? Everyone's watched Ten Commandments here? Okay. And um, what happens is that plague after plague comes and finally Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. And, and, and as all these people go, a million plus um, their cattle and all that, as they're just, just leaving Egypt, um, Pharaoh has a bit of a change of heart. So... You can imagine over a million people just coming towards, um, in, in, in the desert, they're walking towards the Red Sea. They turn around and they see this army approaching them. That's got to freak you out, right? Absolutely freak you out. They start freaking out. They say to Moses, what are we going to do? Moses says, just chill out. It's all good, right? Moses turns to God and says, what are we going to do? Really interesting what God says. God actually says, what are you talking about? Put up your staff. Isn't it amazing I don't know who this is for. Isn't it amazing that you can be in a situation and you actually forget what God's given you to use? Right now. Because you are just, things are coming at you from all sides. And in this moment, you've got everything you need because what gave you, God gave you previously is still useful in this situation right now. But Moses forgot that. Anyway, that's on a side note. So Israel, they see that God actually comes and overnight He splits the Red Sea, this breeze comes in and they walk over on, um, on this dry land as they walk to the other side, they turn around, they see the Egyptian army get absolutely killed and flooded and drowned by the water. And we tell these stories to our children's church, right? Death and all that. And, 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 and they spend decades in this temporal place, which is called the wilderness. Because... You need to understand, Israel knows how to get out. They know how to exit. Now, I've been doing this kind of vocation for um, getting close to 20 years. And um, I would have to say that the majority of people who come to me and 
and they ask for prayer or if they ask for ministry and all that, the high, the high majority would, would be they say, Dave, I'm in a situation I need to get out. Very, very, very rarely does anyone ever come to me and say, Dave, guess what? I need you to stand with me because there's something over there and I need to get in. Wow. We're pretty good at getting out, but I will submit to you, we suck at getting in. And even with our prayer life, imagine if our prayer life changed to the point where it was not about God, get me out of this situation, get me out of this predicament. It was like, God, how do I get in? Because right now, that's where I'm at with what God's challenging me about. There is this thing, this opportunity, which is so huge, so amazing. I get so excited, but it is just so impossible. And I'm coming to God and say, God, seriously, I want in. I want in, I want in, I want in, I want in, I want in. And I need to learn how to do that, how to get in there. See, Israel knows how to exit. They don't know how to enter. And, and there's something that's standing in the way. We read in verse 33, we saw the Nephilim there, descendants of Anak. They came from um, the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Isn't it interesting that Israel are here and they, and they see God move. They can see God do the miraculous. They, they saw the plagues. They're over there. They, by night, they see a pillar of fire. That's like weird, isn't it? Like, whoa, there's a, there's, there's a pillar of fire. And not even that, because the pillar of fire was in front of them. But then when the army came, it actually moved to behind them. They see this pillar, like you think, of what? What, did, what? How did that happen? By the day, there's a pillar of cloud. They see the Red Sea. They actually saw God. The issue wasn't how they saw God. They saw God more, more radically than what we ever see God. I mean, when's the last time you saw a pillar of fire? That'd be crazy. We'd be asking some questions. Like, is it? The issue wasn't how they saw God. The issue is how they saw themselves. It wasn't how they saw God. It wasn't the power of God and, and knowing what God can do that stood in the way. No, it was, it was lurking inside the heart. And every time that God will ask you or me to do something new, to step out, to actually be part of His agenda or bring it about this new creation, you know, sometimes like we think, you know, well, at the end of the day, I just get to go to heaven. No, read your Bible. That is not it. It is a new heaven and a new earth. God is doing something. He is creating something brand spanking new. It is amazing. It is glorious. God is taking this to a determined end, which is so phenomenal. And He actually puts out an invitation. He says, do you want to be part of it? And we go, yeah, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of the church. And He says, great. If you want to be part of the church, guess what? You need to move into some new things, into a new day, into a new season, because that's what I'm doing. That's the way I read it anyway. But they're over there and they're they're looking at themselves and they say, you know what, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. And I wonder what our blank is. To be honest, for me, I ain't the smartest guy around. I'm not the smartest guy in this room. I know that. I'm not the most intelligent. I'm definitely not the most articulate. I've got so many blanks that could stand in the way. But God, I'm not tough enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't got enough hair. I'm not cool looking enough. I can't wear those skinny jeans that some other people do. It's because I'm fat. (laughs) 
But it is this thing that God calls us into new things. What I find interesting about this story as it continues is the contrast between this generation that could not enter the new and the generation that actually did. And we actually pick up on this generation that did enter in Joshua chapter 1. So I want us to look at that and to maybe pay a little bit of attention and see, I wonder if God can actually speak some lessons that transcend generations to actually hit our heart today in 2017. Because maybe, just maybe, you know what? Maybe this Sunday is just a setup. And God's brought you to this place because He's going to plant something new in your heart. And there's a new fire that is beginning to emerge even now. Yeah? Because I know me, I didn't come here to place a message. I came here to stir up the gift of God that's already inside of you. Joshua 1, verse 1 to 3. I think this is so cool. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. A couple of things you need to know from here. The first one's really uncomfortable. Get this, pay attention. Things die. How's that? Come to church, get some encouragement. And you know what? Death does not surprise God. Get this, relationships actually do die. Some of them do. Did you know that? Some of them do. People actually die. Businesses die. Get this, some churches actually do die. And we find death really uncomfortable, isn't it? Could you imagine Moses is dead and God comes and he actually is like speaking the absolute obvious and saying to Joshua, guess what? Moses is dead. I reckon he wasn't trying to inform Joshua. I reckon he was trying to get something even firmer into him. And we get uncomfortable because things die. But here's the thing. God will very often wait to speak to us when that thing, when that sucker is actually dead. And sometimes we are wallowing and we are like lamenting and we are going like, oh, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And maybe God is waiting for us to say, okay, what's next, God? What's next? I understand, I recognise it hurts, it sucks. I am absolutely gutted, but that is dead. And then God speaks. He speaks. He says, after he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready. Get ready. Who likes that? those two words, get ready? That speaks of a season of preparation. Preparation is so significant. I feel like for our church, we're about to enter into something brand new, which is going to be so radical. But right now, from next week and really intentionally, I'm going to lead our church through a season of preparation. Preparation is so important. You know, in one interview, um, an interviewer went to Billy Graham, who's probably the greatest evangelist of the contemporary era anyway. And he, said, and he, and he was asking, he said, you know what, if you were to go back and, and do it all over again, what would you do differently? You know what his answer was? He said, I'd prepare more before I launched in. I'm a minister. I spent three years in Bible college and I would go and do decades of, <laughs> of ministry. Jesus does decades of preparation for three or, three or so years. There's something about preparation because you know what? This is it. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. We need to be excited about preparation. 
And if we're in this moment right now, if there is like a sense, okay, there is something more. But we're like in this awkward, ambiguous, frustrating moment. It could be frustrating, right? Trust me. I'm a church pastor. It can be so frustrating. There needs to be this awareness. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. This is a season of preparation. Because we need to grow. We need to get bigger. We need to get wiser. We need to get faster. Because when that moment of opportunity comes, we need to get ready. We need to be ready. Really important. Preparation. So this thing of preparation comes and we're getting ready. And then he goes on to a couple of things. And for the rest of, I'm doing okay. I've still got nine minutes. I've got two virtues I want to give you, but I want to give you one really important undergirding truth. So I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to give you two great virtues, which are very simple again. First one says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said. Here's the undergirding truth that you just cannot escape. And I don't know why you ever would want to. We simply need to be able to hear the voice of God. It's as simple as that. Our prayer life is it. It's it. Beginning of last year, no, year before, these years are going fast. I think it was a year before last year. I had God really challenge me because like our church was literally dying. Seriously, I thought God called me to that church to kill it. <laughs> you know? It was like, like, we have this like big auditorium. No one's rocking up. It's like, it's, I've got photos of an empty auditorium. And like, I was like, what is going on? And God's dealing with my heart. And he's saying, okay, Dave, oh, like, I'm asking you a question right, right now. What's the win? What's your win? What's your win? And he said, is it really to have like an auditorium full of people? Because he said, even if I gave you that, your heart would still be in this condition. And he did some serious business with me. And I'm a pastor. And he's challenging me about my devotion and my prayer life to him. So myself, personally, but also as our eldership, we embarked on this thing, this journey of prayer. And it was so hard at first. But now it's so easy. And what I discovered is that we would rock up and it was almost like God was waiting for us to show up. Because when we rocked up, the presence of God just fell. And there were most, most times we didn't even pray. We were just on our knees. But you know what God was doing? God was shaping our heart. He was shaping our heart to the point where I know what the win is. I know it. It's my Jesus. I don't care about anything else. It is my Jesus to know him, to see him, to tell people about him. He is so beautiful. He is so wonderful. He is, oh, I wish I could articulate how amazing he is. And out of that shaping, God's actually doing something radical through the church. But it is our prayer life. Phil Baker gave me this book years ago, which I didn't read until a couple of years ago. It was in the corridor at Riverview and he comes up to me. He, he obviously won't remember. He gave me this book and it's called Why Revival Tarries. And uh, he said, Dave, you'll love this book. And he plants it in my hand and walks off. The book starts off like this. The Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting. This handmaiden of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she is not dripping with pearls of intellectualism, nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility and so is not afraid 
to kneel. That's the starting point. And I've discovered that God is a constant chatterer. He just does not be quiet. He is always talking. And sometimes it is that thing where I can't hear God and it's a discipline of actually saying, no, I need to discipline myself to quiet and to hear His voice because He's always speaking. But at this moment, especially in crisis, when, something, when someone significant, the leader is dead, God speaks. Could you imagine if Joshua could not hear God speak at this moment? This record would not be written. History could be different. So that's the undergirding. Can I challenge you with your prayer life? Yeah? Pray, pray, pray. Two virtues. First one is called servant leadership. Everyone say servant leadership. Now understand I didn't say servanthood and I did not say leadership. I said servant leadership. Really significant. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Okay, listen to this. Pay very close attention. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. Okay, there's something which God is wanting to do, which is all about them. Now, I have no idea in your life who the them is. In my life, it is the city of Armidale. And I mean the whole lot. Right? That's my situation. I don't know what your situation is. My situation is also my family. I don't know what your situation is. I know who the them is for me. The question is, who's the them for you? Because God says in this moment of crisis, in this moment, something's dead. He's about to do something new. I'm about to bring to pass a promise I've talked to about for generations and it's all about them. What I find interesting is the way that He wants to get the blessing, the promise to them. Next verse. Verse three. This is how He does it. I will give you Isn't that crazy? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, God, I can hear that you want to, I mean, like from Abraham's first commission, like you're going to bless all the nations through Abraham and all the seeds are going to be like stars in the, in the clouds and all this, yeah, 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 and now the promise is going to come. Okay, so you're going you're to bless them. How are you going to do it? Well, Joshua, this is how they're going to get the promise. When you actually step out, when you enter in, That is the dynamic of servant leadership. When God calls us to leadership, don't get a big head. It ain't about you, it's about them. But guess what? They are not going to get the promise until you step out. Someone always has to go first. Always. And more more often than not, it ain't the smartest, it ain't the most intelligent. Sometimes it is just the guy or the girl who is just stupid enough to think that God's going to do it. And they just step out. I will give you every place where you set your foot. Get this, as I promised. Now, what does he mean when he says, as I promised Moses? No, no, no. As I promised that previous generation that could not enter. Wow. I reckon you guys are kind of primed to step into something new. 
I reckon you guys might be maybe that generation that might be able to do what previous generations were unable to do. And I don't know about you, but I have every intention of being part of the most feistiest church in church history, that we would actually just cut sick for Jesus, that we would be unashamed about the gospel. I was sitting with this guy for two hours in Dome on Tuesday. And he's coming up to me and he said, I've just got this. Oh. He was just peppering me with all these questions about Christianity. I was so exciting. It was the most amazing conversation. I just, he was apologising and said, no, this is the most refreshing, honest conversation. He has, he, he has more idea about the gospel now than most Christians. And he's sitting there, he's talking to me and says, Dave, I've never heard this before. He started off the thing, so I'm just scared of going to hell. It's like this fear motivation instead of this love ethic of the gospel. People want to hear, we just need to step out. Just need to step out. They're all around. But God wants us to do something. He's a servant leadership. Who reckons they could be a servant leader here? God says the way that we're going to get the promise through to them is actually when we step out, when we do something. Second thing that's required as I finish up is this thing that's called courage. And courage is something that each and every one of us are going to need every single day. It's almost like this thing that we will continually have walking arm in arm with this courage. Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land which I swore to their ancestors. Another thing, you're going to lead them to actually inherit the thing which I promised the previous generation. You know? But he says, Be courageous. I wonder why he's saying be courageous. I reckon that courage is really necessary because obviously someone has to go first, but I reckon courage is more necessary because, as I said with the previous text, there is always going to be something lurking in the shadows. I reckon we need more courage for the grasshoppers in our life than we do for the giants in the land. And sometimes it's not about what we see out there. It's actually having the courage to look inside and say, okay, Dave, you're really insecure right now. Dave, you don't have all the credentials of other people. Dave, you, you, you kind of like really struggle to grapple with how, how, how all this is like working together. Or Dave, you don't get this. And sometimes for me, it's like to actually have the courage to say, no, no. There may be grasshoppers that are lurking, but I watch my son every day and he is four. And do you know what my son does with grasshoppers? He picks them up, he pulls them apart, he stomps on them. We are children of the most high God. And those grasshoppers, you can stomp on them. You can pull their little wings off. I'm sorry if anyone really loves grasshoppers. <laughs> the good news is I won't be here next week. You get your normal faster back. But you know what? It takes more courage to deal with the grasshoppers in your life than it does to handle the giants in the land. And maybe this morning, God's actually encouraging us. He's challenging us, reminding us, no, we don't have the luxury of being idle. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the most powerful movement on the face of this earth. We walk with God. Hello. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Last time I checked, Holy Spirit's still part of the Trinity. That means I walk with the fullness of God every single day. Right? That's a bit of power there. 
And maybe God's saying, okay, we need to start moving. We need to start walking. We need to step, start stepping because there's an entire generation that God wants to bring a promise to. And maybe the only thing that's stopping or the only thing that is threatening to stop Elevate Church in Perth is just a bunch of little meddlesome grasshoppers. And now that you know, you can deal with them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're with us, you're for us. I thank you for your presence this even here. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be talking to us. Even as I know you're talking, you're challenging me, I pray that you would challenge all of us. Father, I pray that there will be an excitement that grows, that there will be hope that rises, that there will be courage that comes that we would walk out of this place with backbones that are stiffened, ready to take on the world for Jesus Christ. I pray that in the opportunities that you bring, that our mouths will be full of grace and truth, that the gospel will be on our lips, it'll be on our feet, and we will be so excited to share about the hope in which we have. And I pray that this local church would turn this world upside down in the name of Jesus. Amen.